Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge Fellowship. Thank you so much for joining us online for worship today. We're glad to be able to gather together. I don't know many of you have been joining us all through this pandemic online. Some of you were part of our church before that. Some of you are new. Maybe today's your first time checking us out. If you're new to the church or, or you've just never made yourself known to our church before, would you text the word new to the number that's on our screen right now? If you text that word new into that number right now, we're going to make a donation to a ministry called Women at Risk International. That ministry rescues women, children, different people that are, that are caught in the human trafficking industry right now, which is, in case you didn't know, a pandemic. And there's more slaves in the world today than there's ever been before. And you just texting that word in can make a difference in somebody's life. And one of the things we're going to do today is we're going to continue in our series we've been doing, looking at Ephesians chapter 6, talking about this unseen battle we have with an unseen enemy. And I was thinking about today's message, and it caused me to reflect back to last Sunday. Last Sunday, my wife and I, after the service was over, started watching a basketball game. Now, if those of you who don't know me, uh, I spent some formative years of my life in Dallas, Texas. My wife and I went there to go to seminary to prepare to plant this church, to be spiritually formed. It was our, we were newly married. We bought our first house there. But we also became fans of a basketball team called the Dallas Mavericks. And for those of you who don't know, the Dallas Mavericks right now are in the, in the middle of the playoffs. And last Sunday they had a game. It was game four of the playoffs. They were playing the L.A. Clippers. And they were playing against each other. And we've been watching them for like 20 years. We loved them when they had Dirk Nowitzki was their main guy. And, and, and they, would, they, they won a championship. But they haven't been bad for a while. They made the playoffs this year. And, and we didn't think they were going to win the whole thing. But we were hopeful they might win some games. And they were playing in this game, and they got down by 21 points. I don't know if you like basketball or not, but that's a lot of points in basketball. And and there were some moments where I thought about not watching the game anymore. There were some moments, I don't know if you're a sports fan or not, you've ever had these, but while I'm watching the game, and it's not really good for my Christianity, like I'm getting angry, I feel like the refs are, there's a conspiracy against our team, and the, the teammates that are on my, these guys are trying to miss shot, they're turning the ball over, I'm getting upset, it's not going well, I'm thinking about disengaging, but I want to be faithful, I want to be loyal, and I'm watching the game, they came back. Not only did they come back and tie it up, they actually got a lead. They got up by 12 points at one point, but then the other team came back, and, and they got a lead, and then they, at the end of regulation, it was all tied up. We were in our living room watching the game, and our kids came to watch overtime, it was about five minutes in that five minutes, the lead changed seven different times. So it was tense in our living room. I was standing up the whole time watching the TV. The kids were sitting down. My wife's on the other side of the room. She's sitting down but getting up. And there were just moments. It was like every time something happened, they took the lead. We'd feel bad. And then there was, we'd get the lead back. We'd be like, all right, let's just get the time to run out. And it came down to the last 10 seconds of the game. The last 10 seconds, we were up by two points. But then the Clippers hit a three-pointer. They went up by one point. For those of you who are a little slow on math. And so they're up by one point. We're down to the last 3.7 seconds. And we're watching. There's a timeout. One of the commentators said this line. One team's going to leave here exhilarated. The other one's going to be deflated. And I was thinking, what about us? Like, we're gonna, if we lose, we're, I'm going to feel terrible. And if we win, it's going to be elation. It's going to be incredible. And we're watching. They pass the ball in to a 21-year-old phenom, Luka Doncic. And he dribbles. And, he, and how did he dribble so much in three seconds? I have no idea. But then he stepped back 27 feet away from the basket. He lets the ball go. And the ball flew through the air. It was only about 0.5 seconds. But it seemed about five minutes. And all the eyes in my living room, huge eyes are watching this ball float through the air until it gets to the hoop. And then boom! It went in! 
And I, my arms went up. I didn't know my wife could jump that high. She's jumping and screaming. My kids are jumping up and down. My nine-year-old's giving me high fives. I don't think she even knows what's happening. But she's cheering just because of the excitement in the moment. There's something special about victory, isn't there? It's exhilarating. It's satisfying. And If you've ever experienced it, whether it was your team, whether it was you playing Little League, you're playing a board game, you want Monopoly, you won. Like, you're just pumped at the end, right? Like, if you experience it, you know what it's like. But believer in Jesus Christ, think about that game and the emotions that, that I experienced. And think about life right now. There's moments where down by 21, it seemed hopeless. I thought the game was over. And you think about what's happened throughout, not just the moment of history we're at right now, but throughout history. There was never a more hopeless moment than when Jesus was on the cross and darkness covered the earth, and it looked like Satan had won. There's a reason why Jesus' followers hid in fear in a room. They didn't go celebrate after that moment. But you also know, you know how the story goes, right? If you don't, you need to know this information. I think about how unbelievable it was for me to watch that ball go into that hoop. I can only imagine what it was like for those first disciples to see the empty tomb because Jesus Christ is risen. He rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that's why death has no victory. Death's been defeated. Sin's been defeated. Satan's been defeated. And we've been talking about a spiritual battle. Do you know what that means for you, believer in Jesus Christ? You have a defeated enemy. As Warren Wearsby said, and a lot of pastors have copied it since, we don't fight in our battle. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We come from a position of victory because Jesus Christ has already won the victory for us at the cross. Amen? Maybe type amen in the comments or give a thumbs up or something. If you affirm, like Jesus has defeated sin, defeated death, defeated Satan, and you think, yeah, but... And you fill in the blank with your circumstances. What's happened during this virus? Do you, do you see the, the racial tensions? Do you all know about the job losses? What about the death rate? And, and you say, to talk about that, it seems like you're not even thinking about these other moments. But, but, but wait a minute. Is Jesus' victory just for the end? Because some of us as believers, we act like, yeah, Jesus wins, and that'll matter to me when I die. Or that'll matter to me at the end of my life. But you know what the reality is? You were saved from the penalty of sin at the moment of your salvation. You're being saved from the power of sin right now. You will be saved at the end from the presence of sin. And there will be suffering. We're promised. In this world, you will have trouble. But you know what Jesus says right after that? Take heart. I've overcome the world. He has victory. And you know what? He wants you to experience that victory even today. And so the question becomes, how do I experience spiritual victory now? We'll get to our passage. We address it in Ephesians chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, in Ephesians chapter 6 today, we've been talking about this spiritual battle that we're in with an unseen enemy. And we started reading it in verse 10. And, and throughout this series, we've been talking about these different, different pieces of armor. There's resources, spiritual resources were given to experience spiritual victory. Last week, we talked about the belt of truth. Do you have an it is written plan? When the enemy comes against you with his lies, the truth of God's word to battle in this battle, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Are you pursuing righteousness? We talked about the readiness to share the gospel, the shoes, the gospel of peace. Did you share the gospel this week? Are you in love with Jesus? And today we're going to focus, I'm going to start reading in verse 10, but we're going to focus on verse 16, the, the next piece of armor. And we're just going to cover one today. It's so essential. We're just going to focus on this one. But to give you the context, go to verse 10 with me. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here we're talking about the the shield of faith, and here's what you need to know. If we're going to experience spiritual victory in our lives, we must walk by faith. If we're going to experience spiritual victory, we must walk by faith. And here's the reality. Faith is essential to all of our lives. Like, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, we all live by faith at some level. I mean, you could be watching today, you might be an atheist, and faith is a part of your life. Because here's what, here's what faith is not. Faith is not simply believing and agreeing with some facts. Like, I think some of us as followers of Jesus think, if I could just get somebody to believe that Jesus was God's son, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, then, then they're going to be a Christian. That's, that's conversion. If they just believe those facts, and the reality is that's not, that's not faith. That's agreement about some facts. Faith is trust. That's what faith ultimately means. It's a, it's a trust. We see it as followers of Jesus when we trust in God's promises, when we obey His commands, that we're trusting in God and what He says, and He wants what's best for us, that He's for us, and He's not trying to get something from us. And, but we all have faith. Like, think about this. You might be an atheist. Have you ever ridden an Uber? Think about that for a moment. Like, you had never seen that car before it pulled up. You got in a car with a stranger you had never met. That seems like a lot of trust to me. Trust that other people have done it and it's gone okay. Trust in the app. I don't know what you're trusting in, but there's a level of trust. Or maybe you've never done an Uber. Have you ever flown on a plane? You get on a plane. How many of you actually know how a plane works? Like, how does 90,000 pounds of steel fly from California to North Carolina? Like, and I get, we live in a scientific community. Some of you are like, well, I know. Let me explain it to you. You're going to put a link on here today. You're an aerospace scientist or a pilot. Totally get that. Some of you, but do you know the pilot? Or do you just trust that Southwest or American Airlines or United or whoever, they vetted that guy, that he got enough sleep the night before? Like, there's a, there's a level of trust in almost every decision that we make. We all live by faith. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, this is so essential that we talk about. Because you can't even be a Christian without faith. In fact, earlier in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we're saved by grace through faith. Our salvation hinges on faith. The means for which salvation happens is by grace through faith that we're saved. Not of our works. It's the trust. It's not trusting in our works. It's trusting in the works that Jesus Christ did at the cross for salvation. But here's the thing. That's not the end of it for a believer in Jesus. So you don't even have a chance with God. It's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But that faith doesn't stop at that moment of salvation. Faith continues. We, we walk by faith. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, that we're, we're supposed to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And that walk is a continuous progression of faith steps that we take. Faith is so essential. You can't even be it. We're saved through our faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And then the way that theologians say it, not only are we saved, but we're sanctified. That the progression of growing more and more like Jesus and closer and closer to Jesus happens through faith. We often forget that second part. 
But here, what, what Paul's talking about is he's not talking about just that moment of salvation. He's talking to the believer and how to guard ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. And, and the image that he uses, go back to our passage, is a shield. He compares faith to a shield here. He says in verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now remember what's happening here, that Paul's writing this letter while he's in prison. It's called one of the, the prison letters or one of the prison epistles. So he's probably chained to a Roman soldier in this moment. And God's inspiring him as he looks at the armor of this soldier to give us spiritual lessons to make them more memorable for us for the spiritual battle that we're in. And so the soldier's probably not wearing this shield that's being talked about in this passage. Maybe it's leaned up against the wall. Because Roman soldiers would have many different types of shields. But the one that's being talked about here in this passage is a very large shield. Think uh, the size of a door. Actual measurements are about two and a half feet wide, about four to four and a half feet tall. It'd be two wood planks that are glued together and then wrapped in leather. And then going into battle, they'd dip it in water so that flaming arrows would be extinguished when they would hit it. And so it was large enough that the average person at that time would be able to, if they got down on their knees, they'd be able to cover their entire body with this shield. And so most of us, we understand, even if we haven't been in battle and you haven't had flaming arrows flying at you, that the shield was an instrument of protection, a defense against a danger. In fact, most of you, if you've been to the zoo before, you understand this. Right? If you've been to the zoo and you see a lion, you're like, oh, that's incredible. Like, if you saw a lion in your backyard, you'd be like, get in the house! Because like, you want a barrier, you want a shield. Okay, I remember one time, I took my kids to the Durham Museum of Life and Science. And they've got various animals at the Durham Museum of Life and Science. But we really went there to see the lemurs. And I don't know if you're familiar with lemurs or not, but lemurs are pretty cool animals. Um, They've got rat faces, which doesn't sound that cool, but they're like monkey bodies, and they've got this funky tail. Like, they're pretty cool, but these ones weren't, okay? Because these ones were boring. They were the most boring lemurs you've ever seen. In fact, we went there, and I was a little frustrated. It was hot out. We paid admission, lugging kids out of the van, for the strollers, all this stuff, pay way too much money for food. We get to the highlight, the lemurs, they were all sleeping. <laughs> so they might be cool lemurs normally, but it's the middle of the day. I expected them to, like, move and do something, and so... My kids were getting distracted. They're watching other stuff. These lemurs were behind this glass shield. So I walked up, had my metal wedding ring on that day, and started tapping on the glass. There wasn't a sign that said, don't tap on the glass. So I tapped on the glass. Nothing happened. Tap on the glass a little bit more. Nothing happened. Third time I tap on the glass, about eight sets of eyes pop open. They're looking at me. It's like, Shannon, get over here. Come look at this. They're going to do something. And as Shanna and the girls are coming walking back over towards me, this awful noise begins a hissing that turned into a screaming that eventually sounded demonic and the glass started shaking. And I thought, that's how, <laughs> that's how a lot of you would probably respond if I woke you up from a nap. Like, you're mad. And that, they're like, I'm going to throw down on the guy with a ring. What's he doing over there? I was really thankful in that moment for that glass shield. It was the protection. Kind of like when you see a gorilla or you see a, uh, not a giraffe, but you see a lion, <laughs> like you see an animal that's a ferocious animal. So you feel really good at the zoo. Hey, bring the little kids. Everybody look, because there's a barrier. What is, what, is the, what is it that faith, faith is the barrier. What is it that faith shields us from in this passage? Did you see it? Go back to verse 16. Flaming darts of the evil one or flaming arrows, some texts say. And so the image, maybe you've seen this before in a movie. Think It's like an ancient missile, an arrow that's been caught on fire on the tip. And it's shooting through, and then the shield of faith is what blocks that. But, but who does it come from? Look, because a lot of times I think we get confused about this. And we think the enemy is somebody we disagree with. Whether that's in a marriage, or a lawsuit, or a business deal, or 
on social media about political views or, or things that are happening in our culture. Like, those, those conflicts are real. But there's someone behind that. And Paul wants to make it really clear to these Ephesians. Because the Ephesians may have thought that the flaming arrows are coming from Artemis, a pagan cult god then that was referred to as a, a goddess with a golden quiver. And they may have been afraid of her because they weren't doing the cult sacrifices as, as believers now. And so, but he's going, no, there's somebody behind that. And he says here, it's the evil one. The flaming arrows of the evil one. Who's that? Well, verse 11, the devil, Satan himself. And so the question becomes, then what are these arrows? Well, I think it's interesting in verse 16. In the English Standard Version, it says, in all circumstances. Now, you might have a different translation. It might say, above all else, or uh, in addition to. And there's different ways they've translated this, and, and scholars disagree about this. But the English Standard Version, if they're right, the way they said it is, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. When I read that this week, I thought, why does it just say it here about the shield of faith? Why doesn't it say, when you talk about the belt of truth, the belt of truth we saw last week, it's foundational. You, you need God's word and the battle against the lies of the enemy. And so wouldn't it be in all circumstances the belt of truth? And the breastplate of light, righteousness. Are there times when it's okay to not be pursuing righteousness? Like in all circumstances, you'd want that. But why here? Why is it mentioned here? And I believe that it might be mentioned here because that's one of the flaming arrows. The circumstances that Satan throws into our lives to disrupt our faith to get us off track with God, ultimately to destroy us. And you think about this year, hasn't 2020 had some crazy circumstances? Like, you think, like some of it almost seems like a dream. I've actually thought, is this a dream? Like, is it murder hornets? Really? Like, is that a real, like, could that even, that's a real, like, that really happened? Like, I saw it. I don't know what they believe on some of the social media things anymore. Like, that really happened? And people, some people, I think, are overwhelmed like me with it, like, all the things that are taking place. I had one friend last week I saw actually posted a picture of the guy, Mayhem. I don't know if you've seen him from the Allstate Insurance commercials. He's got a little Band-Aid on his face. And, and on a Time Magazine cover said, Person of the Year for 2020. And it was a joke because the idea was there's so much chaos. There's something or someone behind this. But you know what? There, there's reality to it. And I think one of the ways we deal with sometimes tragedy and trials is humor. Sometimes because we, it's so overwhelming. Sometimes because we don't know how else to deal with it. But just think about, have you, had, have you been impacted during this COVID time? If so, you might even put in the comments today, hashtag impacted. And you don't have to tell us if it's your marriage, your finances, your health, somebody else you know that you lost, like all kinds of things have happened. But, but just to, it, there's been so much, it's been so overwhelming. We, we probably haven't talked about it all at one place in one moment. So let me just give you an overview of some of the, some of the statistics of things that have happened. And, and I don't know what your views are and on the death of the COVID stuff, but whether you think it's underreported or overreported, the numbers that we're seeing on the news regularly are that 170,000 people have died. Over 170,000 people have died. And, and, and so you might think it's, a, you know, it's 100 or it's 300 or whatever it is on your view, it, regardless of where you're at and all that, somebody's sister, cousin, nephew, brother, mom, dad, kids, like people who love people, lost people. And so whatever the number is, it's been a lot of people. And even those who haven't been affected by the death of someone and the ripple effects and all the lives that that touches, which think about how that multiplies, our entire nation has been watching the news and getting news updates, whatever your source that's give, is constantly talking about death. You don't think that plays a toll in our mental health and our emotional lives? Some statistics, other statistics. Just in international travel alone, talking about economic impact, 
it's estimated that over $300 billion has been lost. Think about how many lives that impacts. In the United States, over 100,000 small businesses have closed permanently. And so that's not talking about like the, the huge businesses, right? Like you see the Walmarts of the world, the McDonald's of the world, like these big, huge franchises. But even if you drive through retail areas, you see a bunch of those types of businesses go, go, going out of business sales, Pier 1, Party City, like all these places going out of business. And so people lose jobs, but when it's a small business like that, that's somebody's retirement, their whole life savings, their, all their life work, and six months gone. That's heavy. Some of you have college students. It's hard to even keep track of the numbers. But many have gone to school and have to go back. Some of you had high school students. They didn't get to graduate. There's been countless things that people have had to grieve. You think about the weight of all that grief of just losses, losses of memories, losses of moments, losses of opportunity, losses of trips, losses of all that stuff. Race problems. We don't even have time to go to all the, the, the implications of what's happening. Whether it's a shooting, whether it's a protest, whether it's an encounter at a store, there are, it's explosive the, the way that, that the race relations have gone in our country. And, and I think all Christians would agree that racism is sin. But there's all these dynamics to it and what to say and when not to say and how to say. And we, of course we call it the sin, but then what, am I guilty just because I'm... And there's just all this tension. We're living with that, that's carrying that tension. Mourning with people who mourn and then wondering what to do. You think stats have gone up on human trafficking. Some estimate that it's gone up significantly. It's hard to get the exact numbers because it's illegal, and so it's only those that are getting caught that we know about. Pornography numbers have gone up by all uh, numbers that we can measure and check, and People haven't been meeting, many churches haven't been meeting at all, and so George Barner released a survey just a couple weeks ago that was saying that 30% of people who were connected to a church are no longer connected to a church, and those people are experiencing more anxiety and more emotional burdens, and people are living in isolation. Can I just tell you, without even going through all those stats, it seems like Satan's winning. It can almost feel hopeless as he's shooting the flaming arrows of circumstances into our life, and you might feel overwhelmed. Would you be vulnerable today? And if, if you've been impacted in some way, financially, relationally, different ways by COVID in a negative way, would you just put hashtag impacted in the comments? And, and we've got people that are watching those comments. And you don't have to tell us the details, but they'll be praying for you. And if you're feeling the weight of that, you're not alone. You go through the Bible and you see heroes of the faith and people, the significant people in the Bible that, that get focused on circumstances and become overwhelmed with circumstances. You think of, there's a famous story in the Old Testament of God's people as a whole. God's just done some incredible stuff leading them. He's telling them he's going to go into the promised land. He's proven that he's a big God. He's been doing these incredible things. And they send some spies into the land, 12 spies. Ten of them come back and say, there's giants. It's overwhelming. And they start talking about the circumstances. And so those people don't live by faith. You look at, we're going to do a series in 2 Corinthians in September. We're going to go verse by verse through 2 Corinthians. If you read chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, who writes this book, writes that book, and he talks about a time when he despaired of life itself. It's heavy. You look at Peter. There's a story of Peter. He's one of Jesus' closest friends in the Gospels. And he's in a boat one night, and Jesus comes towards him, walking on water. And he says, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come. And he, he does this amazing thing. He gets out, and he's the only human to ever walk on water until he starts to look at the circumstances. And he sinks. We all do it. We all get distracted. It's one of the flaming arrows of the enemy of these circumstances. But then think about the image, too. The flaming arrows aren't just circumstances. Think about a flaming arrow. Why does the, why does the arrow have to be on fire anyways? Like, an arrow hits you. It's going to kill you. Why, why does it need to be a flaming arrow? 
And there's different discussions about that. Maybe it's to cause collateral damage in other people's lives, or maybe if it misses you, then it's going to cause a distraction and start burning flammable things, and now you're more vulnerable to the other arrows coming. And there's all kinds of theories and thoughts about that, but you think about what a flaming arrow is going to do, it's going to ignite anything that's flammable. One Bible commentator that I enjoy, his name's Kent Hughes, in his commentary, he said a statement that, that kind of inspired me. It said, we all have lusts within us that are easy to ignite. Here's why it inspired me, because when I... I read that, and I started thinking about the image that Paul's painting in this passage of Scripture. I thought about the flaming arrow. Even sparks could come off and ignite something. And we've all got, all got like fire starters, that are, whether it's greed or materialism or, or sexual lust or various things. that, And Satan knows what those things are that can get us focused, and so there's the flaming arrows of temptation. And you think about that image of starting a fire. If you've been in our church before, you know that whenever I tell a story about fire, it always goes bad. I've caught a lawnmower on fire. I've caught my deck on fire at my house. Like, it's, it's never good whenever there's fire involved. But one story I've never told you, for good reason, it's humiliating, was uh, one time when, when Shannon and I first got married. Uh, we didn't know where we were going to live, and we had some people in our church that had a house. They said, if you take care of the property, you can live in this house for a little while. And so we were staying there that summer. I said, but we want you to take care of the, the yard. And there was one section where there's all weeds. They wanted me to get rid of the weeds. And I went out there, and I started weed whacking. It was hot, and it was hard. And I thought, I need to work smarter, not harder. And so I'm going to burn these weeds down. And so I poured a bunch of gasoline all over the weeds. And then I specifically, I'll, this is such a vivid memory, even though it was so long ago. I, I specifically remember that Shannon was getting in the car after I poured gas on all these weeds. And I turned around and I started to wave at her. And I don't know what ignited it. But behind me, whoosh, was a wall of flames. She couldn't believe it. It looked like a, you know, a 90s rock concert. Flame wall behind me. I was just like, See you, honey. And I had no idea where it came from. And then you get this image here of temptation that comes, and we all have different temptations ready to be ignited, as the commentator said. So the flaming arrows come over of distraction, <laughs> flaming arrow. Division, flaming arrow. Lust, flaming arrow. Greed, just that opportunity to, no one will know you. It's just you and the computer, <laughs> flaming arrow. Or you can put yourself ahead, a little self promotion, flaming arrow. Pride, flaming arrow gossip flaming arrow, whether it's to sin or distraction or division, these temptations where Satan wants to get us off the path. And then sometimes it's fear. And sometimes it's other. We could talk about what the flaming arrows are all day long. There are thousands of flaming arrows. But Paul's point isn't the flaming arrows here. Paul's point is the shield. The image that, that we're to relate with is not just to know all the flaming arrows of the enemy, but the, the shield. And what is the shield? It's the shield of faith. Faith is trust. Trust in what? Trust in God regardless of circumstances, regardless of temptations. Trust that even when it seems hopeless, that we know the one who has the victory, trusting him, and that we would then walk in that trust. You see, there was a way that we used to walk before we placed our faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that's now at work and the sons of disobedience. And so we're all walking and we're all trusting in something. And before you know Jesus, we're all walking according to disobedience to God because we're not walking in faith with God. Whatever's not faith is sin. And every sin is actually a, a broken faith that we're not trusting him. And so, whether it's because of fear, or whether it's because of temptation, or whether it's because of circumstances, or whether it's because of distraction, it's all an attack on our faith. 
That's why this element is so important. In fact, it's the only element in the armor of God that actually tells us its effect, which is to put out those flaming arrows. But the goal is not to know all the flaming arrows. The goal is to walk by faith. Do you know what it says a little bit later in Ephesians chapter 2? Verses 8 through 9, it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're probably familiar with those verses, but the next one, the next one not as many people are familiar with. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so when you see this passage, you see these other walk passages in Ephesians and in the Bible, we see it's a metaphor for our lives of living. And you go to a passage like Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, and it gives so much hope. Like the Think about this for a second. The God of the universe was thinking of you before anything began and had a plan for you and to say to you, and your plan, like you're going to exist at this time with these people and I've got a unique purpose, just a general one, for you. I've got good works for you to walk in. And what we see with that, and we see in passages like chapter 4 and verse 1, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called, that the faith journey is a walk. And what do you know about a walk? We all know that a walk is a progress of steps. It's not just one step. It's a progression of steps, continually down a path. I mentioned to you uh, that book Larry Richards wrote, and and we started going through Ephesians chapter 6. And when he's talking about this path that we walk down, he talks about the flaming arrows are things that are trying to get us off the path. But what we're called to walk to, if you're going to have the shield of faith, is to continue. As you walk by faith, you're guarding yourself from the attacks of the enemy. And so you think about, what is a a walk of faith? Well, the first step we read about in verses 8 and 9. You are saved by grace through faith. The first step of faith is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. The first step in a walk. But nobody would say, I took a step and then go, I went on a walk. Like we know that a walk is the continual steps that we take in the same direction. And so for many people, what's another step of faith? Well, the next step of faith for a lot of people after they trust Christ, the next step is often baptism. It's certainly a step after trusting Christ. Whether it's the immediate next one or not, it's a step. And baptism is when you publicly make it known that you're a follower of Jesus. You're letting the world know, I'm following Jesus. And the way he told us to do that is to be dunked in water, where we declare that we're buried with Christ in baptism, we're raised to walk in a new way of life. And then what? What do we do after that? Well, some people will say, we well, should share your faith. If you have people that you love and they don't know Jesus, tell them about Jesus. Well, that's scary flaming arrow of fear comes. And maybe they won't respond in the circumstances, and maybe you're tempted to do other things. But if you do it, then that's a, a step of faith. It's another step. And, and maybe as you're taking these steps, you get distracted, or circumstances come up, or maybe college, or some shiny thing, or materialism, and, and you get off the path. But, but then eventually, you know from God's Word that He'll take you back. And the very fact that you come back is a step of faith. If you confess your sins, he's faithful, he's just. He'll forgive you of your sins, he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so just even doing that, you're, you're taking a step of faith. And as you continue to take steps of faith, maybe it's realizing your stewardship. That at the moment of your salvation, you were given the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. But not only were you given the Holy Spirit, but you were given spiritual gifts. And so you have these gifts. How are you going to use those gifts? And as you step out to use those gifts, you're taking another step. 
and you've been entrusted with all these resources, your time and your money, and as you start to use your time for God's work, as you start to, to use your resources to further God's kingdom, and you start to give generously, and you start to believe things in the Bible like it's actually better to give than to receive, there, yes, there's the temptations, there's a fear that maybe God won't provide, or circumstances seem to dictate, and how could I do this now? But as you do it, you're taking a step of faith. You're walking by faith down the path, the God's specific plan that he has for your life. But let me ask you, maybe during COVID, maybe before that, have you gotten off the path? Maybe some of you have never gotten on the path. You haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can do that today. I'll tell you in just a moment how. Maybe some of you are followers of Jesus, though. And maybe it was circumstances have come. Maybe it's circumstances in a relationship. Maybe it's with your health, finances. Maybe you got disenfranchised with church and, and you just popped on today and, and you can get back on the path. You just acknowledge to him that you've gotten off the path. Confess to him whatever it is that, that you've done in that process. Come back and he's, he's faithful. He is faithful. Even when you and I are not faithful, he is just. Come back on the path. Those of you who have never started that walk, it said, and I read to you multiple times in this message, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we're saved by grace. That means you're given something you don't deserve. And that was when God gave his own son. He didn't spare his own son for you. How much more is he? He's going to take care of you, okay? He gave his son for you to die on the cross. So in that moment, he was paying for your sins. You didn't deserve that. You should have to pay for your own sins. This is grace. And the way you receive that gift of grace is by faith, trusting Stop trusting in your church attendance. Stop trusting in your own good works. Stop trusting in whatever it is you trust in, your bank account, you're good enough, you're handsome enough, whatever it is that you might think. And trust in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. If you trust in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, then he promises you'll be saved by grace through faith, not of your works that, that you could boast, but that you'll be saved. And that's the first step of faith. If you want to do that today, will you just pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And then I need a Savior. I believe your son Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead and defeated death and defeated sin and defeated Satan. And I want to be forgiven of my sins. And right now I ask Jesus to be my Savior. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I cast my sins on the cross and I receive the forgiveness that you offer. In Jesus' name I pray. If you just prayed that prayer, would you text the word Jesus to the number on your screen? And maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've been off the path that you want to come back and to walk by faith. Or maybe you've just been apathetic. You've been just kind of cruising. And maybe you don't think you've wandered from God, but you're not really walking with God and you want to get back on that walk. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those who are not walking with you right now that you get them reconnected, reconnected to a body of believers, reconnected in your word, reconnected to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. What an incredible and powerful message. My prayer and hope for you right now is that this message is challenging you, that it's hitting your heart right now. I pray if those flaming darts have got you off path and has derailed your faith walk, I pray that today is a pivotal moment for you, that today you raise up the shield of faith. And if you'd like somebody to talk to about this or, or someone to pray with today, go ahead and text the word pray to the number on your screen. Whether that's to pray about your faith walk or like what Pastor Scott just spoke about, that you've been affected and impacted during just this season of hardship, text pray. Or if you prayed that prayer with Pastor Scott for the first time and you placed your faith in Jesus Christ today, go ahead and text pray to that number on your screen. We have a team that would love to talk to you and pray with you. Whether that be through text or a phone call or Zoom, whatever you want, we just want to connect with you today. Church, 
thank you for joining us. Wherever you're joining us from, we just want you to know that we love you and we care for you. And with people joining from all over, I just want to take a moment and just say, as a church, we are praying for those that have been affected by Hurricane Laura in the Louisiana and Texas area. And I encourage us all just to take time today to pray. It may seem like a normal day for some of us, but that's not the reality for everyone. So let's take the time today just to pray for those affected. It's been such a challenging season for so many. But before I leave you, I want you to join me in celebrating some of what God has been doing recently. It may seem like in this season the evil one is winning, but let me just share a couple of victories with you before we go today. So as most of you probably know, we as a church have been partnering up with Raleigh Dream Center to help those in our communities that are in need. We've been helping provide food through our food drive that you guys have been a huge part of. And this week, through your guys' generosity, we was able to donate over a thousand school supply packets to those in need. Last Saturday, they got sent out all over our city into all these communities. And through these resources, we pray that we will reach not only the physical needs, but also the needs of the heart. Every Every school supply packet is an opportunity to build Christ-centered relationships with our friends and our neighbors. Our ultimate aim is that we communicate the hope of Christ through meaningful conversations that are sustained through friendships. So Southbridge, I just want to say thank you for making this possible through your guys' generosity. We also held a blood drive last Sunday and we had 24 units donated. That means 72 lives saved. Not only that, but through you guys donating, Blood Connection made a donation of $520 to Safe Families, which is a partner ministry that we, that we come alongside to help provide safe temporary care to vulnerable children and create family-like support uh, for families in crisis. So guys, thank you so much. Thank you that you have a heart just to love our city. I encourage wherever you're watching from today, let's take the time this week to just love on the people of our own cities, our own communities, our own neighborhoods. Remember, church is more than a service. Church is more than Sunday. So let's go out this week, not fighting for victory, but fighting from this victory. Let's go out this week and be the church we're called to be. Let's go out this week and continue with our mission of connecting people to Jesus for life change. Amen.